Yeah. Ariel. Because I have to be Disney themed. Yes, that's the plan. Fuck me. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious? I mean, if you say left and if you was some precocious, and I suppose that was precocious of you, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know Nailed that I can it. think of it. Cars! <laughs> There's a C. <laughs> Killing it. Dalmatians. Elephants. Dumbo's an elephant. Also, you could have said Cinderella. <laughs> I didn't think of that at all. <laughs> I thought of cars. I was so busy concerned about your B word that I didn't think of a C word. I didn't. I don't know enough. I forgot. <laughs> There's so much to remember, though. <laughs> Let me not. You're basically a Disney character. I'm basically Disney. <laughs> What's up, nerds? Welcome to the Nerdly Informant. Everyone's a nerd about something. We delve into the topics we nerd out about the most, like Star Wars, Disney, Harry Potter, and so much more. Join us each week as we take you on a nerdy trip. We are Jackie Murphy and Shannon Dwyer. Because today, Olivia Matthews is not here. She is. At Disney! Off living her freaking best life. No. Didn't invite us, by the way, but it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we'll find some way to forgive her, I think. I think we'll get through it if we try our hardest. But I don't know if I have that kind of willpower. <laughs> <laughs> I just am planning to hopefully go to Disney next year, so I think that's what's really getting me through this, is that I can just pick bits and pieces of her trip that I like and apply it to my future one, and we'll make it through. And I'm sure she's having a blast. She definitely needed the vacation, so we're super excited. She gets to go live out everything in the happiest place on earth. She's going to go do Hogwarts. She's going to go do Epcot. They're doing their wine and cheese festival, right? Yes. Yeah, so she's really going to enjoy that. Super excited for her. But since she's not here, and it's just us this week, and so we're going to do a double natwa because it's fun that way. Yes. Yes. And to clarify people who might not know, we are aware that Hogwarts is in Universal and not Disney, just in case. Yes, very clear. <laughs> but should I specify? But it's kind of no, a package no, no. deal. Like they're right there, <laughs> so close to each other, literal same town. Um, but yes, yeah, since she's not here, we decided to do a Disney villains episode <laughs> for you. <laughs> My the evil laugh is not good. It sounded like Santa Claus. Right? Try it again. <laughs> Was that better? That felt kind of good. Was, it was very much better. <laughs> Wait, you have to do one. <laughs> Mine was yeah, much from more classic. Within. Yours was growly and eccentric, and I liked it. Mine was very much like, well, we got two seconds to film this, so spit it out, Robin Williams. Spit it out. You're going to do great. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Don't worry. <laughs> and we're mostly doing villains because we're bitter. We're also not on that trip. Not going to lie. <laughs> bitter. And villains, I feel like are loved but not as often spoken about like and also we all love our princesses we love all of of course all of the other movies that are not princess centered as well but how often do we take a minute to talk about and appreciate the wonderful villains for who they are because there is no hero without a villain we all need a good antagonist it's fair i've always been a bigger fan of the dark side so i always think the villains are a lot cooler than the heroes to be honest Except for Gaston. Oh, that's another G. Fuck. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. And he was on the list, and I was like, he does not deserve to be counted as a villain. Like, he's one of the, like, antagonists that incites the town. But. <laughs> he's still technically the villain because he tries to kill him. I was but I don't think he deserves the title. That's fair. I was humming but his song in the kitchen But he eats six dozen eggs. That's what it is, right? Yeah. 
six doesn't eggs. So I mean, like, he's really helping everyone who has chickens in that town. Is he paying for it? Highly doubt that. He's oh, a smug yeah. bastard. He's not paying for shit. He's getting it by ruse. He just seduces everyone. But he's not on our list of people to talk about today, because you're right. He doesn't deserve to be in that doesn't classic doesn't category. Who the hell kills him? Goodbye. Like no, we're out. We're done with you. No. <laughs> Getting sassy about it over here. Ugh. Love it. So we, we both are doing it just a little bit different between the two of us, but we're going to switch off. This is going to be fun, so we're going to do it. So my first villain is comes from an animal movie. It actually comes from Robin Hood from 1973. Which, I've always been a huge fan of Robin Hood. It was one of my very first ones that I ever remember, like, just being completely enthralled with. Absolutely love it. The animation is gorgeous because it's all the storybook. So it's just, like, flipping pages and so they draw all these different things and everything. Like, Wisp of Hair. It's just, it's a whole thing. It's, like, my favorite style that they do. But my villain is going to be the Sheriff of Nottingham. So he is the Sheriff of Nottingham, obviously. And he is, or he's a tax collector. He's the enforcer of the town. He kind of does whatever Prince John at the time tells him to do. And he is an obese gray wolf with gray, or with yellow eyes, excuse me. He also wears red sheriff's clothing, which that's just how they described it, which I thought was interesting because I'm like, well, do, what exactly does a sheriff wear? But I guess that's fine. But it also has puffy purple sleeves with gold stripes on it. And I'm guessing that the sheriff's outfit or clothing really is just that. It just signifies he's the sheriff. He also has a purple striped hat with a feather, he wears crimson shoes, and he has a gold star on his chest and a necklace with a gold medallion. Uh, there's actually literally no history on the Sheriff of Nottingham. There is on the actual guy, but not from the Disney version of it. And he's not really in any way based off of that guy, other than apparently he was kind of... When they originally started doing him, they were going to make it more like the, fict- like the actual historical character, but then they decided that it wasn't interesting enough, which... I mean, I don't know much about him in person, I guess, but he's got a whole wiki page, so he must be somebody important. Probably should have read more into that, but I decided not to because he's not an animated wolf. His life was too dull. He did not have this kind of presence. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, he's a huge dude. He's just great. Yeah. He's a total showstopper. I love him. I know. Isn't he fun? <laughs> I'm glad I looked up the picture. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got beady little eyes, a big old nose, and just the biggest, roundest belly. So there's not a whole lot of history about him or where he came from or how he rose to power. We just know that he is the sheriff. He's in charge of monitoring the whole town and collecting things and enforcing whatever the king says. His personality, he is pompous. He's unsympathetic to the plight of the poor people because he is not impoverished himself. So he gets to live in the castle, have all those amenities, but he just could not care less everyone else is dying because they can't feed themselves. And he just keeps taxing them. He really doesn't care. He's very corrupted, and he's cruel in that way, because he's basically doing everything to, because he's self-serving, so he just wants to, whatever he can do to bump up his position in life, he's entitled. He's the Sheriff of Nottingham. (laughs) But he's the villain in this story because everyone hates him. He doesn't really do anything good, he just wallows around after good Prince John, who everybody hates because he's not the rightful king, and we all know it. He's also extremely strong, like super strong. He's, he's able to, he gets in a, a lot of fights with Robin Hood, in which Robin Hood has to outsmart him in order to take him down because he's the sheriff. He's this huge, giant, freaking wolf. So he's just there to take everything down and do those. So some fun facts about him, because there's literally nothing else I can say about him, but I remember him being terrifying as a kid. Like, I was super scared of the sheriff of Nottingham and taxes, but now I work in taxes, so it's very weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's all come full circle. What a weird song. 
trade-off there. <laughs> so some fun facts about him is that he has no first name. He was literally just the sheriff of Nottingham. They didn't give him a first name. They didn't see the point in doing it, so they don't. They only used three animations to, for him throughout the entire film. So there are two of him walking and one of him standing, but they just manipulated those in the storybook for him because it was so hard to animate in those times that mm. they only used three of them. They're like, this is what we're going to do. Uh, he's actually very scared of the prince. Like, even though he comes off with this big badass wolf and he, nothing bothers him, He's terrified of the prince. Like, he doesn't want to be... Like, there's a scene in particular where he's singing the, the Prince John song, and Prince John hears him, and he immediately cowers down like he's going to be executed, because that would have been typical for the time. Oh, my goodness. He was originally supposed to be a goat. <laughs> but they didn't think that the goat was scary be, like, intimidating. Yeah, the, so they decided to go with the big bad wolf, because that's what they had used previously for villains, and they're kind of seen as darker, scarier creatures. I mean, I guess... But I'm trying to imagine, like, a goat in the, like, similar, (laughs) similar, like, ensemble and put up on two feet. And a goat on two feet, I do think, would be pretty hilarious. It'd be a little more silly than it would be scary. Yeah, but if they made it, like... Like one of those big mountain goat sheep. Like, it could be, like, a A big horn sheep. A big buff goat got the big horns. Yeah, pretty scary. Watch out, he's coming. And he's also agile as fuck on the mountains, like... (laughs) Maybe, but I agree. Hide that gorge. It's amazing. <laughs> I like Yeah, but for 1973, that wasn't scary. Nor would, would it probably be possible to really animate them the way that they actually want to see. Because the goat that they do oh, have in Robin Hood, I'm pretty sure... Oh, no, it's the owls I'm thinking of. But isn't there an old goat that gets end up being locked up? I'm, I think there's a goat in there, but I know the owls are the really old ones. And he has two psychics called Nutsy. And trigger, and they're vultures that can't help, like, do whatever he says to do because he wants them to do things. And they also are enjoying their power and doing whatever they want. Trigger is a little more serious, whereas Nutsy is just kind of an idiot. But that's pretty common in Disney. So that is the terrifying villain that is the Sheriff of Nottingham. My first villain is the evil queen from Snow White, or Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, I should say. The evil queen is also, like, written into the story. Queen Grimhilda, which I didn't know. I think that's just a really interesting fact. But, of course, the evil queen is much more as what she's known as. Known as. And she, when I think of, like, Disney villains, I feel like she's kind of the ringleader. Yeah, well, she's in the first film, so. Yeah, she's one of the first films. She kind of, she takes them under her wing and she (laughs) says... You can, you can join the villain crew. I'll kind of show you how this goes. I think I saw somewhere that she, there's like a Disney villain show or something that the was House around for a bit. Yeah, 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 and she was like the ringleader of that as well. So it's actually really, really solid. It was back when Disney Channel was doing all their spinoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a House of Mouse and it was a villain's takeover. And she and a bunch of the other ones take over the big house of mouse and, like, kick everybody else out and turn it into the evil so it's got all the villains and stuff. It's actually really, it was entertaining. I think I was really into computer games on, like, Disney.com, mm-hmm. Nick dot, like, you know, Cartoon Network, etc. And I re- played the house of mouse games a lot. And so I do remember it, but only because of that. Like, I don't <laughs> think I remember the actual show. No, I don't remember much about it. And it was only, um, I don't know if it was a show show. I think they had a couple. Like a, a short yeah, it was it was like a little it was like a movie that oh, they did. Oh, okay. But it was it was pretty good though. And then they did another one for Christmas too. I'll have to look those up later. That sounds kind of fun. 
And I'll like. I'm pretty sure it's on Disney Plus. Thank you, Mom and Dad. (laughs) Find that out. (laughs) I mean, it's perfect for it, so. Yes. That would be smart. They brought back all those weird, off-shooted animated series. I wonder if they're on it. Excuse me while I dip into the nostalgia. Yes, so our wonderful evil queen. Most of us know that a majority of the Disney movies, especially like Disney princess movies, come from different fairy tales that were earlier in time or like folklore, etc. So naturally, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs comes from the Little Snow White, where, of course, our evil queen is featured. Within that, it's still basically kind of the same exposure that we get to her in the movie. She is jealous of... Snow White because of her beauty and when Snow White turns seven years old like she becomes more beautiful than the evil queen and what can you do except she launches plans multiple plans in this story compared to just the apple with the apple being the final plan of hers um but she was very determined and I think it's interesting because I haven't seen the movie in a while because you know with the older ones I feel like you don't typically dip back as frequently yes as you grow up but I just thought there was more than just jealousy over her beauty that would incite such a force from this woman. But alas, like all the sources say, it's jealousy. So that's what we're going <laughs> to take it for. Um, and How then, insecure do you need to be as a full-grown-ass woman who has all these <laughs> mythical powers to be like, that seven-year-old is cuter than I am. Ah. That's not okay. Banished. Leave. Yeah. This poor hunter is told to kill you and you're told to leave. Ugh. Anyway, sorry though. Evil Queen, not about Snow White. And then in the, for anyone who's seen the Once Upon a Time series that was on, I think it was on ABC. Yeah. For anyone who's seen that, they do a bit of a different take on it. And so instead it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I know we've both seen it, but it was a little bit ago for me. Instead in the Once Upon a Time, they have where the Evil Queen hates Snow White, wants her dead because she was in love with, I think it was a stable boy. Mm-hmm. Or her one true love. It is a stable boy. And a stable boy. And Snow White, as a little girl, found out about it, told her mom, who was the queen, and the queen had the stable boy or the to-be-evil queen's one true love killed. And so took her one opportunity at true love, because it's a fairy tale, so there's only one chance, which is dumb. That's but whatever. <laughs> Apparently that's how it was. And so they kind of put more of that, like, just how I was like, but why is it only jealousy? They tried to put some content behind more feelings and substance compared to it just being jealousy. So that's interesting. But I, I thought that's where that show was really cool, though, because it gave us new takes mm-hmm. on the whole stories, and it was different, and it intertwined everybody, which was really cool. But So, just a couple details more about the Evil Queen, and then I have some interesting fan theories that I found. So, as we know, she wants to be nothing more than the fairest in the land and does not appear to be, at least, very involved in governing her kingdom, except where we see skeletal remains of prisoners in her dungeon. Can we talk about how flawless her skin was? It was flawless. Her priorities, (laughs) she was keeping them straight for what they were for her. They was in line. (laughs) She was looking great. Killing it. So we assume she's a villainous ruler because there are skeletons in her dungeon. She's cold, violent, egotistical, possessive, and extreme vanity. So all what we would expect. Kind of in line with those characteristics, one of the fan theories I found was that the mirror was not magic at all. In fact, it was 
The theory begins by talking about when you ask a mirror anything, the image the mirror will always show is you talking to yourself. Asking a mirror who is the fairest of them all is a rhetorical question. And that was the intent of the evil queen's query. She was likely a very stunning person. I mean, that flawless skin we talked about. Her but... eyeshadow on point, okay? <laughs> I want a makeup tutorial from her. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I would be able to flawlessly do it, but... But we could try. <laughs> Correct. I just got goosebumps after you said that, so continue. <laughs> As she grew old, she became more insecure about her appearance. Natural. This was evident in the fact that, as we see in the movie, she is continuously seeking validation from this inanimate object that was only capable of giving her the answer she was looking for. When she finally realized, like herself, that someone had surpassed her, jealousy absolutely consumed her. So the image of Snow White in itself haunted her. So when she would ask that same question she'd ask her mirror, like hyping herself up essentially, Mm -hmm. who's the fairest of them all? She saw Snow White when she asked that, compared to it being a magical mirror Mirror that she was asking the question. Which... And obviously, in like the Snow White movie, there's like a literal, <laughs> like magic green face. magic face yeah. that pops up. But I thought that was interesting in terms of how that jealousy can drive her so much. And she's how... like visualizing that there's actually a face in there telling her. Mm-hmm. But she might have just caught a glimpse of her in the courtyard singing in the well. Yeah. Okay. Or cool. she like because she thinks God, she is so beautiful. Like, she's definitely more beautiful than me. Well, now I'm mad about it. Like, she's not going to think, oh, of course, hair flip, it's me. Except her hair's always looking on point and not down. But But, so I thought that was an interesting one. And then this other one is pretty detailed. So just a more broad overview is the theory that Mother Gothel from Tangled is the evil queen, which... It seems on everything I've read, this has been around forever. Your girl is just now hearing about it. I think I (laughs) vaguely remember hearing this theory at some point. In short, the idea is that in the movie, when the evil queen turned into the old old woman. Yeah, old witch lady. Old witch lady woman. Sort of the big nose of the war. It's a person. (laughs) (laughs) It's turned into the old lady and she falls off the hill, I believe. That they never say, like, oh, she's dead, she's gone. So, theoretically, she could have gone, kind of licked her wounds, stroked her ego a bit, and then come back. The similarities include sharing an obsession with beauty. They are both very obsessed with youth and not have getting into, like, old age. So, it's like she basically found a new princess. Yeah. She was banished from Snow White's realm, so she went to a different realm and found Rapunzel. Yes. They both have a similar style dress, which in the time period that Tangled is set in, that style dress that Mother Gothel wears is not typical for or matches other dresses in the film. No. I did not look up evidence, but I saw it on so many things, I just trust it. Actually, she mainly wears black all the time anyway, so Mm -hmm. that's wild. They both turn into old hags. They have similar daggers, or potentially the same dagger, if we're thinking they're the same person. Dun, dun, dun! And, aside from being master manipulators, which we know, there also is what people believe is a hint of a poison apple painted on the banister in Rapunzel's tower entangled, along with other instances of apples being shown with Mother Gothel. 
in the film. Which would track, because Disney loves to put little Easter eggs on everything. So was it a throwback, or was it a Pixar theory? Exactly. That's what I don't know. But I thought that was so interesting. (laughs) That's amazing. Okay, I'm just going to add in these two, because whoa. (laughs) Within the books that are shown in the tower, there is a book on alchemy, which fits perfectly with the evil queen and the philosopher's stone golden flower connection gothel knows her way around corona's castle a little too well for someone who has not been inside it before as shown by the ease with which she can break in and literally steal the king and queen's daughter out from under their nose without being detected or going into the wrong room now i would think if you're gonna do a kidnapping of a king and queen's daughter you'd probably do some research first though there, but, but it's not like there's floor plants it's not around. like it's not a heist movie it's not like there's that much so that could be because she once lived in that castle as well as when she broke into the castle the door opened seemingly of its own volition which is odd because obviously you push or pull a door and there are a few other instances in the movie where she appears to disappear with a flourish of her cloak perform different sorts of impossible feats and mother knows best and we know she has potions she can do magic and in the and in snow white the dwarves say that the evil queen is able to turn invisible so it's possible that she can i mean that would be a good way to track it because if she's found a way to get eternal youth and she's obsessed with it she would go somewhere else to find it yeah and i mean you can't be in that snow white's castle anymore because things have gone wrong not going well and then lastly just because this kind of puts a bow on top of the evil queen is mother gothel theme is that they both die by falling from a great height or die quotation marks she lives on <laughs> the only difference is that entangled we see mother gothel fall all the way whereas in snow white and the seven dwarfs we don't see her falling at all we just see her go off the ledge and we don't see what happens after that And it's a well-established rule of Hollywood that it's never safe to assume that someone's dead until you see the body. And with the evil queen, that never happens. So, I mean, but also with this theory, we assume that the evil queen did die as Mother Gothel, if this is how it goes Well, I mean, she exploded on the ground, I'm pretty sure, so... Yeah, she did. That's horrible. (laughs) Not even the worst worst villain death. I watched that movie with children. (laughs) We watched that movie as children. <laughs> Went right over your head. <laughs> but, yeah, I thought those were the two most interesting fan theories, and those are mine. Speaking of which, that, that's nuts. Love it. Right? That's crazy. I was like, About fan okay. theories. I'm, I'm a little upset I couldn't find more fan theories than what I, my research is, but I think it's good. It's called Variety, folks. Look it's it up. Fine. But speaking of the Evil Queen... The next one I'm going to talk about is Jafar from the 1992 Aladdin movie. So his character uh, was actually drawn from villains such as Ursula and the Evil Queen. That was like the baseline for Disney saying, hey, these are our villains. This is how this works. And like in his cool, calm, collective manner that he is, a lot of that influence came from the Evil Queen. So he is the vizier, I think that's how you say it, probably not, vizier to the sultan. I like vizier. Yeah. Vizier to the sultan. Pfizer. <laughs> I say like, like an advisor. I, I think it's vizier. I think vizier. Pfizer yeah. just wants to feel right because it sounds like advisor. But you're right. <laughs> so he's in help. He helps the sultan keep peace in the land, decide when to go to war. He's like its top advisor talks about that. So he's a tall, slender man 
which is supposed to make him really creepy because he's almost invisible, basically. Oh, he has a gold ruby-eyed staff that's shaped like a cobra, which is really popular in Middle Eastern culture in general. He also has a twisted black goatee and a very faint mustache, very tiny. I mean, I, I love facial hair. <laughs> Absolutely love facial hair, but no, nah, he's got it all messed up. The little twisty at the end throws me off every single time. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it so much. He wears lots of eyeliner, That's and that was like a thing of royalty. I mean, you see that throughout all cultures. They always wear a lot of makeup and things, you know, throughout the thing. He's also, from what we assume, he's bald. And we don't know if he's bald by choice or if he's just bald. Because in some of the later animated stuff, he actually does take off his ha- his hat at some point, and you can see that he doesn't have any hair. Oh. So who knows? Hmm. And he also wears classy robes and large headpieces and slippers, which is also a sign of royalty. So he wears all these really elaborate clothing and fancy colors, and yeah, everyone look at me. I have jewels and belt sleeves. I'm so important. Look at me. <laughs> but we do know that he uses his his gold ruby eyed cobra <laughs> staff. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> he uses his staff to kind of control the sultan um, because he has all of these powers. So he has the ability to do alchemy, which is potions, things like that. Making It's almost like magic of the time. You know, He can make things disappear, and there's puffs of smoke, and he uses to escape a lot, things of those mm-hmm. nature. He's a master of disguise, so he can change into a lot of different things, and this is one of his powers. He doesn't actually have magical powers. That's just kind of something he's... He's like a magician, basically. He can do all these different things, but he's a master of disguise. He turns into an old man... Different characters, you'll see him here and there all the time. He's a sorcerer at one point because he wishes it from the genie because he wants to have actual magic. That's something he really prides on having because he thinks it ultimately will lead to powder. Powder. Power. <laughs> and then eventually he has phenomenal cosmic power when he becomes a genie. Obviously he doesn't know what all comes with that, but that's the way it is. So, so as far as the history for Jafar, I did a lot of research and I looked into it trying to figure it out. From what we can gather from the animated series... From the Return of Jafar and from Aladdin itself is that he grew up in the streets of Agrabah. He was essentially the same as Aladdin. There's a lot of parallels. He was a street rat. He spent a lot of time in dungeons. He was imprisoned by the uh, the queen, the sultan's wife, the late wife. So he, that was also what grew a lot of his like hatred towards her because she imprisoned him because she wasn't about all this thievery and things like that. He has a twin sister named Nazir, which we learn about in, I believe, the second movie and also in the animated series. <laughs> Which they have a very, very strong like connection. They're twins. So they're they're very much bonded together and they they apparently grew up together on the streets, but we don't really know. There's a lot of vagueness in there, the whole thing. There's a lot of parallels between him and Aladdin, definitely. Hundred percent. It's also possible that he had the queen killed after he finally he spent so much time in the dungeons that he eventually rose up into power and there's not a lot about how he rose to power, but we know that he did. So he possibly had arranged for the queen to be killed. So that was, like, his first part in power, or, like, murdered, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not something the Sultan, like, let happen, obviously, but he he arranged it. He figured it out to how he could kill her and not be connected and all. He's, like, the ultimate serial killer. Wow. He only killed one person, so I guess he's not serial. But who knows how many people he had thrown in the dungeons because he freaking felt like it. So as far as his, imper- his personality goes, he's, a, he's an immoral psychopath. Like, he just doesn't care. He just is only out for himself, and he will do whatever it takes to get there and... Is why he probably killed the queen, because she obviously was a problem with all that. She didn't agree with what he was doing, and she saw him as a street rat. So she was not interested in figuring out what's happening on. He's a narcissist. Yeah. He's the only guy. It's everyone else's fault. It's not his. He's done everything right. Those sort of things. He's power-obsessed, and he's an emotional sadist. So he's very cruel, almost intentionally, because he gets enjoyment out of it. 
So it's just, it's one of those kind of weird things. Yeah. 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 Ugh. He's just kind of an ass, to be honest with you. I mean, and he, his whole, his ultimate Pretty goal honest. is to be the sultan and to control everything and have all this power and do all these things. He, at one point, tries to arrange for him, for him to marry Jasmine, and oh, to which yeah. she absolutely refuses because he's probably in his 40s. He's gross as shit. And she's like 16. Granted, should she have run off on top of a flying carpet? Probably not. But we're all dumb at 16, okay? Who hasn't jumped on a flying (laughs) carpet? You know what I mean? (laughs) So he's doing whatever he can to get into power because that's definitely one way, but he does view her as absolutely gorgeous and he wants everything to do with her. He just does. So some fun facts as far as he's concerned. He is one of the only villains to be killed on screen, which Mm -hmm. is new. So in in the second movie, Return of Jafar, which actually was... Awesome. I remember watching that a lot as a kid. I have it on VHS. We should definitely watch sometime. It, it's a solid, it's scary. It's a dark kind of movie, which is really interesting for what's happening. But it's like Aladdin and Jasmine are married at this point, doing all of this. So, you know, he becomes trapped as a genie in his lamp. Well, somehow, Iago managed to escape and comes back to get him out of the Cave of Wonders. And mm-hmm. Jafar calls him some name because he just loves to abuse everyone under him. And so Iago just drops him in well and says, well, screw you, I'm out of here. Well, somebody finds him. And rubs the lamp and wants their wishes, but of course he manipulates the guy into doing all this different stuff. But eventually he's found out because Iago goes back with Aladdin and says, hey, this is where I dropped him, this is what's happening. And so he becomes, he gets electrocuted and then puffs into dust. Uh-uh. So like you said, if you don't see the body, is he really dead? No, he's actually dead because we really watched him explode into dust. But yeah, so he's one of the first ones uh-uh. to be, and one of the only ones to be killed on screen as of the time that this was written. Now we know that's not true. There's been several deaths on screen. Clayton's, for for one point. They don't show it, but that was a horrific death. I'll never forget that. <laughs> he is brought back to life by Hades, though, in the Hercules animated series. He brings him back. Um, he's after Hercules for some reason. It's called the Hercules and the Arabian Nights. I don't, I don't particularly remember this episode at all, but him and Hades are buddies. So he brings him back, but he doesn't have any of his powers or anything like that. He just kind of resurrects him to like help him plot to kill Hercules, basically, the whole time. <laughs> so he does get brought back to life for that, and he's in a couple episodes there. He actually purchased Iago from Bazaar when he was a child, so that way he could... Oh, yeah, because birds live a really long time. Really long freaking time. I mean, he's pro- Iago's they probably... like almost as I guess, he, I mean, he would have been probably in his early 20s by the time he would have figured out how to enough money to do that. And Iago actually helped him out. With his crimes, much like Abu did for Aladdin. Yeah. So there's a lot of similarities there. So that's... Yeah, go ahead. I wonder if that's part of why Jafar disliked Aladdin so much. Like, even from the perspective of, like, he's like me trying to, like, become something more in the world. And, like, I'm the only one who should have this rightful place as Mm -hmm. well as, like... He saw it more of as a threat. You're nothing, like, I know your tricks, Young mm-hmm. person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it, it wasn't also just been in the streets. Yeah, it wasn't just sustained for him being a street rat. It was like, no, I, I can see what these people can do because I'm one of them. And I, I'm not letting it happen here. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why immediately when he finds out, you know, about the genie, because Iago finds out and all of that, that's one reason why he's immediately like, well, we got to kill this guy. Throw him in the freaking ocean. We're done here. You know, so he, yeah, it's definitely like he saw him as a threat. He's like, no, we're not doing this because I can. See, I know what can happen if you put your mind to it, and I did it, so I'm not letting you do it at all. Mm-hmm. That was his whole plan. I mean, originally his plan was to obviously have him die in the Cave of Wonders, but that didn't happen. Didn't work out. So <laughs> um, he's also ranked number two in the top thirty Disney villains, Ooh. only behind Maleficent. 
I'm not surprised. No. She's, She's just horrifying. Yeah. In general. Uh, you know, I think her creepy little minions always freak me out the most because they're like, are the animal or the human? What is happening here? <laughs> Everything is weird. It's all green. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Jafar's a badass dude. And I, I was definitely a big fan of him as far as, like, he was definitely, like, an all-star villain for me. I just, I remember him being, like, super scary. You know, and, like, that was everything for me, like, a villain should be. I was just like, yeah, this dude's a bad eggs. So I don't about it. <laughs> like, this is great. Your, your mustache and your little beard freaked me the hell Freaky. out. Especially after he turns Jasmine into, like, that little slave or whatever. And she curls it with her finger and pulls it out. It's the grossest scene it's in that so whole unsettling. movie. I don't like it at all. But he's classy as fuck. He gets what he wants because he knows what to do. And it's only when those meddling kids step in that things get all whacked up. Yeah. yeah. So he's awesome. He's also in uh, House of Mouse. And definitely he's made appearances in a lot of video games. Uh, one in which was Kingdom Hearts. He's like the main villain in Kingdom Hearts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts is solid. I think I only played a couple of them, but... It was solid. It was a cool game. It was emotional as hell. Devastating. But yeah, so Jafar is just, he's an ultimate villain for me, honestly. I think he's, he's everything a villain good should be. He's all, he's got a good makeup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just had to take him in for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> My next one is the Queen of Hearts from Alice in Wonderland. I almost said Alice in the Wonderland. <laughs> Alice in the Wonderland. The Wonderland. Wonderland. So as far as background or even just in terms of where the idea for the Queen of Hearts comes from, naturally she's the antagonist in Alice in Wonderland, for those who may have not seen, but you'll clue in as I check. Everyone's gone down that acid trip. (laughs) Also true. (laughs) So it isn't explicitly stated in the, by the author, who's a course name I did not write down so I don't remember that's my best guess you look it up for me it isn't explicitly stated but there are two theories of who the queen of hearts was based on the first is queen victoria because she ordered execution at the slightest defense for like anyone and everyone and also she overshadowed her counterpart aka the king a lot more and he wasn't as trusted since he was not born in England or like naturally in English or whatever and so since also the Queen of Hearts counterpart was made as like a very small meek man it's not that it might be modeled after each other um, the second person that it could be modeled after even just kind of drawn on honestly could be both of them let's be honest is the queen mark is queen margaret of the house of lancaster this is mostly thought of because quick background there was a war of roses which sounds unimportant but i'm gonna give you a quick sentence about it the war of roses was an english silver war during the 15th century where they fought over control of the english throne and it was called the War of Roses because it was between the House of Lancaster that had red, had a red rose as their symbol and the House of York that had a white rose as their symbol. So the thought is with the painting the white roses red when the Queen of Hearts gives that order to her card minions that it's kind of alluding to that War of the Roses that happened. That makes sense. So That's it cool. could kind of be like both of them because you can see that symbolism. It could be coincidental, but I feel like authors really kind of go in depth with these kind of things. So 
I like and that's a pretty a combo. big thing, painting the white roses red. Like, that's... Because it doesn't make sense when you watch it. You're like, okay, like, she's really upset. Like, she wants to be angry about something, so she's mad at them that the roses are white, but you probably told them to plant white roses. Okay. <laughs> you yeah, know? And well, and that's such, a, like, an important thing that it would be like... And that would probably be something that, like, he had known about. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's something because it was more relevant to history at that point. I mean, granted, he wrote this years and years later. But, you know, it's like when you hear something in history class, it just sticks with you for the rest of your life. Or in any class, honestly. That you're always like, oh, yeah, this was amazing. Like, maybe he thought that was, like, one of the coolest things ever. And so he threw the symbol in the, symbolism in there. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I like that. So that was really interesting. Some important characteristics of our girl, Queen of Arts, is that she... <laughs> Her kingdom is surrounded by maze-like hedges and guarded by an army of card soldiers, which we all kind of know, but I still like that part. She has a pretty large temper and is easily set off, as we all know her phrase, off with their heads! She's egotistical, represented by her need to be referred to as your majesty, even when getting the response of yes, yes, your majesty. She enjoys croquet, But what I think she enjoys a little more than the game itself is yet another way of her showing that egotisticalness, that temper of wanting to control things, is that she's using the poor flamingo as the croquet mallet and the poor little hedgehogs as the balls. But I think it's so freaking cute, though, because it immediately, like, runs away. That's true. And she's not very good at croquet, mind you. The only reason she does well is that the cards move so that the ball goes through, <laughs> so, or the hedgehog ball goes through. I think, that, yeah, they all do, actually, yeah. So they all just make it happen for her. It's easy to win when you own all the equipment. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, that's true. <laughs> and she really enjoys her temper as well, which is, weird isn't the right word, but interesting. It's like when she, Yeah, it's really unsettling. Like when they're reading the charges against... Alice in the movie and the rabbits taking too long or something. She's like, hurry up and get to the part where I lose my temper. And it's like a giggling. And it's mm-hmm. like, so you just like want an excuse to yell at people? Like you just did that. So, well, if she thrives off of fear and power, then mm-hmm. it would just make sense that she wants to get angry because everyone immediately gets scared of her. Mm-hmm. She wants to like hold that. Yeah. So she'll take it anyway she can get it. Mm-hmm. Real quick, that... The Queen of Hearts was intentionally crafted to be an embodiment of ungovernable passion. Yeah, that makes sense. So, passion of all regards. In her case, passion for off with heads. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland is intentionally separate from the Red Queen, which is the queen represented in Through the Looking Glass by Lewis Carroll. Lestrange. <laughs> by Lewis Carroll although in almost all the different adaptations retellings especially I think that we're all all most familiar with Tim Burton's he intentionally chose to melt them into one and just made it the Red Queen in both Alice in Wonderland and Through the Looking Glass for his redo and I think it works pretty well I like, I mean, I, I thought they that, were the same person. So I think, I yeah, never without read, doing the research, you don't really know I that they're ever that. separate. And from what I could find about, even though this is a little about the Red Queen, but what I could find about the Red Queen was very much like a, a small glimpse that happened to be 
and through the looking glass not as big of a role as the queen of hearts has in the first one because i'm tired of saying Alison. yeah because the red queen is could be viewed as an antagonist in the second story as she is the queen for the opposing side in a chess game that they're playing but despite this their initial encounter is really cordial the red queen explains the rules of chess concerning promotion specifically that alice is able to become a queen by starting out as a pawn and reaching the eighth square and that's so kind of it's kind of it like in that book she was just like the red queen explaining the chess game so he just that's combined that. the two with the rage yeah so, so i think that, that to be... kind of continue like that stronger antagonist the real that makes sense but could it also be that he was still bringing back the the white and the red roses fight by bringing them together as one and that's why it's conflicting because if they both exist in the same world because obviously the queen of hearts still exists somewhere mm-hmm. within alice in wonderland even though she's not currently at the chess game so my thought on that <laughs> i mean must ask <laughs> my thought on that is that in the initial Alice in Wonderland there isn't really that separate what is she called like the white queen or like whatever Anne Hathaway's character is called that plays the red queen's sister that she almost shows that dichotomy of or not dichotomy but like the separate houses of the house of roses and the the house of the red (laughs) (laughs) symbolistic red and white roses because it also said in one of the and I didn't write it because it didn't apply to the Queen of Hearts, but I'm pretty positive that it said for Queen Victoria, kind of playing off of that, oh, like, the king was more meek. She was liked a lot, like, one was liked a lot more More than than the the other. other. Yeah. And I think that that could be applied to the, I should look it up, but Anne Hathaway, white queen, (laughs) being liked by everyone. She was was the good one. She was so kind, and the red queen was just, like, Almost what we associate with the color red, like anger and fiery, like and an ugly stuff, yelling sister. and yeah, yeah, and being that. So I totally forget that Anne Hathaway is in that movie at all. I remember the chess game very clearly and mm-hmm. do, but I don't remember her. She was so I don't know. I just thought she wasn't. I didn't. She didn't feel super important to the story. I understand why she was there, obviously, but it was all about the Red Queen. So I got really into the like sibling rivalry that they had going on, but most importantly. <laughs> How they described why her head was shaped like a heart. She fell that she, Yeah, she was running. She got tripped and rammed her head into the side of a freaking fountain. <laughs> and it swelled up and left a little divot. And it's just like, and you're okay? Like, <laughs> you're so mentally able? Like, I mean, it is Alice in Wonderland we're talking about here. Like, So anything could happen. Anything could. And... A lot of what I was reading, just like more generally about the book to make sure I had the frame, framework or reference more proper, it isn't how a lot of people say like, oh, it's going like on an acid trip or like doing drugs like that very well is, could be very much what it's like with all the colors and everything being weird. But it's also the extent of would this make sense to a child? Is this something that a child could come up with? Because when you're thinking of a five or seven year old or someone who's making up this story like that could be a reason to them that she might think well she's the red queen or the queen of hearts her head is gonna be shaped like a heart why oh she bumped it on a fountain whatever 
you know, that same, like, logic and all the different, you know, life experiences that we have as we get older aren't necessarily as applicable to little kids who are helping to form this story or help influence the story that came to be. So, Well, I mean, when Disney put out the animated series, it was more geared towards kids. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. they did. So, I mean, there are a lot of, like, adult references and things mm-hmm. within Disney movies, but I understand why the, the updated version was a little more dark and... Like we talked about with Sabrina. Oh, yeah. You know, so they're trying to cater to a, the same audience who are now older, mm-hmm. but still bring back, like, play on that nostalgia thing, so. I love the, love the Tim Burton ones. Oh, yeah, I love Tim Burton. He's so just creepy fun. as hell, and I enjoy it so much. But, yeah, so that's all. I, I don't have many theories, since, of course, since the Queen of Hearts and the Red Queen are conflated so often, I wanted to keep it more particular to our main girl, the Queen of Hearts, who we know in. I don't want to say love. She's chopping off a lot of people's heads, y'all. But we know and appreciate her role she plays <laughs> in the books. And she's definitely a classic villain, though. I mean, she yeah. had everything that made up a really good villain. She was ridiculous, and she was threatening, and she was just a scary presence, even though she wasn't... I mean, I guess she was sadistic. She just literally talked about cutting off people's heads in the middle of a child's movie. So, again, adult themes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I will say... it was interesting reading about her because she, of course, off with everyone's head who does anything slightly wrong, mostly her poor cult card soldiers slash servants. They're basically a cult. (laughs) often her partner, the king, though he's made, again, to be so small and meager, he pardons so many people and is able to, he's the only voice of reason she listens to and is able to kind of talk her down and, Make it so everyone in the kingdom is not dead. <laughs> there is still a kingdom to be had. Honey, we Which need followers. <laughs> might be why they their castle is surrounded by the maze to kind of keep, keep people from coming in. Because people from coming in and keep kind of her because she seems like being like short tempered and focused on herself. She's not really thinking of what's going on out there if it's not affecting me. Right. I'm going to play croquet with my hedgehogs. I'm fine. I have these cards to paint my roses red. Like, whatever. I'm living my best life. So that might have been... This is a theory I'm making up, but that might have been an intentional thing on yeah. their part. That makes sense because, I mean, she's not going to be able to figure her way out of the maze. It's not important to her, and she would get bored. Yeah. So it's a way of keeping her there, but also keeping everyone else out. The Queen of Hearts, not the Red That's Queen. really excited. Don't get them confused. <laughs> I purposefully, no one can see me, but I purposefully wore my Alice in Wonderland t-shirt that I recently got today because I was that excited to talk about the Queen of Hearts. So so for my next one, I have the Sass Queen of the World. It is Hades from the 1997 Hercules film. He's so good. I'm so, so excited. sassy. He is he awesome. He brings the sass that I think... I don't know, like, I remember thinking it was really funny, but I feel like as I've aged, I appreciate and love his character so much more. It's, it's definitely a movie that I rewatch often. I, it just makes me cry every time. Like, I, I don't know what it is about that. I can go the distance. That song alone just, like, gets me. Like, I don't know what, at one point when I saw that movie, what kind of shit I must have been going through. <laughs> oh, no. But I heard that song and I immediately connected to it and I was like, yes! Hercules! Need it. <laughs> and the, uh, the I Won't Say I'm in Love song. Mm-hmm. I still sing that like I can sing. And I am, I'm tone deaf, guys. I, I can't sing at all. 
So, but that one I like belt out. I was like, I got this. It's amazing. <laughs> so he's God of the Underworld or Lord of the Dead. He was granted this by Zeus and his brother Poseidon. They're the sons of Kronos, who originally like ate all of his children in Greek mythology, but they fought their way out and stuff. It's a whole thing. But they didn't really follow the mythology, so to speak. He's also the, the godson of Gaia, or the Earth, which I thought was rather interesting. So they're brothers, but Zeus and Poseidon tricked him into being Lord of the Underworld. You don't get that in the Hercules movie. It's just, he's just God of the Underworld. Because he has blue flaming hair, for the most part, when he's calm. And he also has very bony fingers, and he wears black robes with, with a skull pen, kind of symbolizing who he is and his power. And he, he almost floats around like a smoke. It's almost like he doesn't have like an actual physical body. He just has he's just smoke basically of fire and flames. And he has those really yellow eyes and very sharp pointy teeth. He's everything that makes him look super sinister as Lord of the Dead. Which him being Lord of the Dead isn't actually he's not actually Lord of the Dead. Like he can't control the dead. He just lives there in their domain. He just runs where they are all stuck at. So he has no say over death or what happens in death or what happens in the spirits afterwards. He's just chilling. Like, he just, he the, owns the dominion of the death, but not the dead. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I didn't expect that, which was... But he actually hates the under, underworld. He finds it boring and depressing and overbearing. and He's just annoyed. Like, Zeus gets to live up in his power and everybody worships him, but nobody worships the Lord of the Dead. He's just <laughs> underwhelmed. He doesn't... There's not even people to be like, yes, you're running this great. Like, no, everyone's just because like, oh, they're shit. not affected yeah. by it. And they're just like, oh, he forgot you existed. Basically, like when he shows up at Hercules's birthday party for or to announce his birth or whatever, Zeus doesn't even like it's almost like he didn't invite him. Because the second he sees him, like, Zeus jumps up all excited to see him. Like, oh, shit, like, I didn't know you were coming. And mm-hmm. it's like, did you send him the invite? Did he know? I mean, he had to know. Did he hear it by someone else and then go, well, you know what? I'm coming then. Yeah, exactly. Don't send me that invite. Guess guess what? Everyone else is going. Yep, exactly. (laughs) So his whole thing is he decides that he doesn't want to live the way that he does. It's it's boring. He kind of hates it. It's just the dead day in, day out. There's nothing exciting ever happening. With all these dead people. Literally ever. And like (laughs) I said, he doesn't control the dead. So he's just literally like a, a house sitter. Basically, that's all he does. And so he just kind of hates it. So he plots to overthrow his brother at all times. So, and then he's very patient in that way. I mean, he waited 18 years after he heard about Hercules. So, you know, and that's the whole thing. Like, one of the things I saw was that um, if he is the god of the dead, and this supports the theory that he doesn't control the dead, how did he not know that Hercules wasn't dead? It's because he doesn't control control death. He doesn't know what happens. He doesn't know who the hell's there. He just assumes it happens. He just sees those freaky-looking soul things. But they don't look anything Oh, no, it's crap. Yeah, they just... I mean, some of them do. But they look like dead people floating in the water. And he doesn't have time to look at all of them. There's literally hundreds of thousands of them because he's been cool. ruling the earth for so long. <laughs> I am looking for this particular one. Yeah. Has any, anyone seen Hercules? <laughs> and in which case, and the dead not wouldn't respond answer. anyway. Because no, A, they don't care. And B, he, does, he doesn't rule over them. He just keeps their bowl warm, basically. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> But typically, he's a, he's pretty cheery and upbeat for a person who well, rules the dead, which is why he has his, his very calm demeanor. And he wears, like, blue hair and blue flames, which is indicative to how flames actually burn. The hotter flames burn blue because it's calm. 
and it's contained and it's one thing happening. Whereas the more out of control flames go red and yellow, which his hair does go red and yellow when he gets angry and hot hit. He is very quick tempered and he will blow a fuse because he can. And he kind of enjoys getting angry like the Queen of Hearts. He enjoys it. It's kind of fun for him. I mean, there's not much going on. He needs a little excitement. Exactly. So he's probably he's like, four. oh, thank you. Exactly. Let me get mad about this. But yeah, you notice it in the film too because his skin will go from pale, like this pale blue color to immediately to this really red hot flames thing. Mm-hmm. Like whenever he yells it around and goes, what? When Pain and Panic screw it up, he gets really mad. <laughs> I love it so much. Or he goes, two flames way, way up. <laughs> One of my favorites for him. He's also very smart and he's very witty, which is why he's patient enough to wait it out and wait for Hercules or wait for Zeus when he knows he can take him out. So, he, but he's aware that he is not. Um, he's very like self-aware in his humor in general. Like he kind of jokes about the fact that he's a Lord of the Dead and his life sucks. You know, he's just he's one of those people who's like self-deprecating, but it's funny because he doesn't care and nobody's listening to him anyway, like ever. So he's he's like that. He's in control with temper. He's also very charming, so he's able to manipulate people into doing things for him and things of that nature. There's at one point when he's at the the birthday party, I guess. <laughs> I don't know what it is. The birth space day party. He, he makes a comment to one of the girls that is there about how much he can't stand her right to her face. And she thinks <laughs> it's a joke. So he's just, he's capable of those kinds of things. He's just charming. No one really cares what happened to him, any of that. Mm-hmm. So his, his powers include immortality, can't die, he's a god. He has a very high endurance to lava and to cold. And we see that when the titans screw up and accidentally blast him whenever they're trying to go after Zeus and they go the wrong direction. Mm. He goes, it's this way or whatever, and they swim by and they cover him <laughs> in lava and cold, but again, he can't die, so he's a high endurance to those things where some of the other gods don't, such as Zeus That's and others. Yeah, it's one of those things. He can he has fire manipulation, so he can summon fire. It's unlimited. There's not like a like a shot count like in dragons. Mm-hmm. You know, there's he can just do whatever he wants all the time. And then he also has smoke manipulation, which uh, he can conjure objects and imitate things with smoke. That's why when you see him move, a lot of times his bottom robe kind of disappears. So he could be imitating his whole body at that point. We don't really know. We know he's a god, but we don't really know much about that. He can also do creatures and his arms as well. So like when he's... Yeah. So when he moves, it's a misty thing. It's just he kind of floats about he's he's an incredibly cool character honestly and he is alchemy so he can do potions like he did the immortal the mortal potion for hercules who pain and panic obviously screwed up so he has he has two sidekicks which are these shape-shifting lackeys is what they're described as but they're called pain and panic pain is constantly getting injured no matter what he does he just is getting things dropped on him he gets stepped on he gets bounced against walls all the time he gets just crushed but he obviously he can't die because he's one of the creatures and then panic is honestly always panic he always thinks they're going to have a problem. Like, one of my favorite lines, that, or two of my favorite lines that they have is, uh, if. If is good. <laughs> when he talks about, like, uh, he's talking about, oh, God, he's going to find out that we didn't we didn't actually make him mortal. He didn't drink the very last drop. And Payne just goes, if he finds out. Which Panic responds, if. It's good. <laughs> he just, like, shakes like a chihuahua the whole time. And then another one is when he finds out, they both turn into worms. And they go, we are worms, and they just kind of like try to wiggle away, and it's, it, I think it's some of the funniest things. <laughs> so some fun facts about the sassiest god on earth. He just is sass. Love him. So he's actually based off of Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is a former chairman of Disney who actually left on bad terms to go form DreamWorks. So they kind of base like how he looks and who he is off of that. Jack Nicholson was also cast to possibly play the role of him. However, Jack Nicholson wanted 10 to $15 million more for what they were offering, and he also wanted 50% of the, the profits. 
to which they said, no, not doing that, not going to happen. And there were about three or four other people before they finally landed on the guy who voices him. He is one of the only Disney villains to not have a song. He doesn't have a song about him. So a lot of the villains get this, like, big dramatic song where they sing their plans. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have a single song at all, which is cool. Uh, he's only evil in the Disney universe. As far as, like, mythology goes, they revered him. They thought he was he was really good. He wasn't evil, anything like that. But they decided with Disney, we're going to make him evil because he's God of the underworld. He's, like, Satan. He's the devil. Like, this is what happens. And it, within, like, Greek mythology, he's just the God of the underworld. Mm-hmm. Like, he controls, helps people get from one side to the other. It's just kind of a cool. His three-headed dog, Severus, who makes his appearance in multiple different franchises. I know he's called Fluffy in <laughs> Harry Potter. Yeah. But he's basically the same thing. He's Severus. He's the guard of the Underworld. So he doesn't let in mortals. He doesn't let other people in. Those sort of things. His job is to protect the door. So you can't really get past him unless, you know, you're with the, you're dead for one thing. He's really good at sensing that out. Those sort of things. He's the guard dog. And that that goes through with Greek mythology too. They believe there's a three-headed dog that protects the Underworld. He is considered one of the oldest villains because he is immortal and he is a god. So he is considered one of the oldest Disney villains as far as age is concerned. He has been in 11 video games and about six TV series. He's been, he was also in the House of Mouse production of House of Villains. He is in Kingdom Hearts all over the place. They were in the Hercules animated series. And he's Jafar's friend after he brings him back from the dead, which is apparently one of his abilities now. <laughs> so he brings him back from the dead to like help him plot to kill Hercules. But yeah, that is the, the sassy, amazing, incredible character that is Hades. He's such a fun, cool character to have. You know, and he makes deals with humans all the time because he's bored. Like when he makes his deal with Megra, it's because he's bored. Else going on. And, and yeah, and he understands things fail and he knows everyone's gonna die, so he really doesn't care. So, like, he, you know, so he's willing to make these deals with them, just like he made the deal with Hercules that Meg wouldn't get hurt. Mm. He assumed that would be an easy thing to do because it wouldn't matter anyway because Hercules was gonna die. And because uh, at that point, if he's god of the Olympus, he could just say, You're smoted, get out. Yeah. You know, but obviously that doesn't happen and Meg sacrifices herself to break the curse. Yeah, it is what it is, but I think Hades is. Dope. Yes. He was always fun. I love Hercules. I think it's an incredible animated film for what it is. It's a beautiful. But on to the big baddie himself. Last, but definitely not least, we have Captain Hook from Peter Pan. Naturally, we know by this point, everyone's the antagonist. So he's the antagonist of Peter Pan. What? I know. It's such a surprise. I thought it was a good guy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, wait till you hear some of my theories. <laughs> But he is the antagonist. He has a hook because Peter cut his left hand off and fed it to the crocodile as a childish prank. And then the crocodile must have thought he tasted good or something because that's the crocodile we see in the movie who just like follows him everywhere he goes with the little clock. Well, right? It has a clock? Yeah. Because he made him swallow a clock so that way he could track him. He knew where he was. Oh my God, he's so smart. Y'all, inventive. Captain Hook, write it down. <laughs> I'm just real mad that it was a childish prank, but I have a lot of feelings about Peter that we'll look at. (laughs) But info on Captain Hook, because that's who we're here for. Some background information that I never knew, because let's be honest, how often do we talk about the villains and learn the background? Maybe many of you do. That might be why you're here. He trained as a young buccaneer in the ways of piracy from Mama Hook. But fortunately, he was poor at the craft. He was ostracized. He didn't have many friends, so he kind of spent most of his time alone. He did end up commanding a diverse crew for his first ship after he went to college. Commanded a crew after the fact. You know, had to make sure he knew. I don't know what they 
learned at college that he did a master of business, but (laughs) (laughs) it must have been important. But he commanded a diverse crew. Their goals were to plunder national landmarks and wealthy cities. Basically what all pirates are looking for, in my assumption. Unfortunately, he lost the crew while stranded at sea. I don't know if they were lost and then were stranded. That's how it was phrased when I was looking up info. But nonetheless, he ended up stranded at sea alone. And he was rescued by while offshore of Neverland by Mr. Smee, which was their very first meeting and that's how him and Mr. Smee met and how Mr. Smee ended up being his first mate which while we're watching he seems very like silly and subservient and not very much like an actual friendship but in all accounts it does appear to be an actual friendship that they have going I mean he made him his first mate I I don't know much about pirates but that's pretty impressive I imagine he took a very (laughs) Captain Jack Sparrow approach to it (laughs) I own the ship (laughs) I would think so especially if his mom was like squeaking you're not getting it like you have to try harder (laughs) you know like maybe maybe he wasn't doing so great okay so getting into theories because that's basically all the background on hook and we you know the basic story for our guy so uh, theory number one captain hook is a former lost boy it says that the boys on the island vary of course in numbers according as they are killed and so on and when they seem to be growing up which is against the rules peter thins them out so presumably by this statement that was from the book i didn't write that down but i'm like 98 percent sure if you don't want to be thinned out which we can assume probably means killed what else happens when you thin he takes him back to Earth. You run away and join the pirates. Oh, so Hook joined the pirates and all of his crew are lost boys. Since all the lost boys are infants who fell out of their pram, a.k.a. stroller, they weren't claimed for seven days and that's when Pan takes them to Neverland, according to the book. I have thoughts about that. They're street kids is my guess. Is that well, mothers have cast them Well, if they fell out aside. of a stroller, how small are they? And if it's been seven days, have they eaten? Like, are they dead children he's been taking? Well, I mean, so it's what? It's not during the war, right? Or is it? I don't know. I think the second one's. I mean, the movie, I think, is set during the war, yeah. So are these just orphans who have fallen out of their pram because there's literally no one to take care of them? Okay, well, you're bringing a lot of light to this. (laughs) But either way, they've fallen from their pram, and it's been a week. They are dehydrated. Peter's helping them out, so we thank Hope. So, in Neverland, they have the, as we saw from the previous statement about, oh, when they seem to be growing up, which is against the rules, they're thinned out. So, they have a chance to grow up and be innocent children for their whole lives, aka thinned out. Or, once they're done, they can go on to join the pirates! So, that was a very poorly told way of saying, essentially, this theory says that Hook was a lost boy that then goes and joins the pirates. However, I wrote this down real excited, and then I thought for a second after, or for a couple minutes after, and I was like, how's he a lost boy if he went to college and then became a pirate and learned piracy from his mom unless he was, like, flirting between the two places? Or another interesting, which... I mean, it would have to disregard the fact that he went to college. So I, I don't know if I can even make 
this claiming good conscience, but, or what if he was ostracized? He didn't have a lot of friends. He sucked at pirating anyways. He went off. He was going to take the ship and show everybody that he could do it. And then he ended up at Neverland. I mean, the only way he would have ended up in Neverland, though, is if Peter Pan had taken him to Neverland, right? Because there's no other adults. I mean, I guess there's an Indian tribe and there are other things that are happening in that world. So it's possible that, like you said, his mother had cast him aside and said, you're never going to get this. And so he had spent his days with Peter Pan because he was willing to take him as a kid. But then he got wind of what Peter Pan was thinking and he was like well I want to go home mm-hmm. and Peter Pan let him go home and that's where he decided to do all this stuff and then obviously you know Peter Pan cuts his hand off but maybe that's just like a revenge for leaving him kind of thing so he could have gone to college and all but he could have spent his childhood days with Peter he just didn't know it was Neverland but Peter does travel everywhere so what is it if Peter had come and like hung out with him maybe <laughs> I have a lot of mixed thoughts I wrote unlikely but interesting <laughs> next to it <laughs> this next one Y'all, <laughs> I have so many thoughts. I'm very interested. I This one is that Hook is the good guy. So, as we know, Peter Pan is immortal. How else could he continue to find our fun lost boys? He collects children at the time of puberty and kills them, is what this theory is. So, the fairies are actually pixies, which are thought to be mischievous and evil. So, Pan and pixies make a deal that he gets immortality as long as he kills children and brings them back over. But Pan's like, I don't think he's comfortable with, like, children. Like, they're pretty young. So, what if we say, like, once they hit puberty, like, they're technically kids, but not really. (laughs) Because, like, puberty. So, kind of, like, tries to find a loophole and basically allows it to count for himself. But there's still very much children that he's taking and killing in this theory. So, he tells the boys that they'll get immortality if they just come with him. And even while he is taking these children to Neverland, and in it, it says that basically they're dying in like our realm and he's taking like their spirit essentially or soul to neverland to kind of continue so he gives them to the fairies who killed them and then he takes their soul (laughs) you know i'm not sure that the fairies come up again and that's why i'm taking a quick set i would guess i mean the fairies play the role in how they get to neverland though like tink gives the which i don't want to implicate tink but tink gives the pixie dust so maybe it's like a two-party situation so as I'm saying, so if he takes their spirit up to Neverland, do are they do they get killed in Neverland or are they killed on Earth? They are in both. Like I think the idea is he kills them to take them over, but eventually they have to thin people out. In which case he kills them spiritually there. Yeah. Bam, bam. I don't even know. Because they're to... like in purgatory. Yeah. Okay. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Continue. But even while taking the children to Neverland, Pan still gets bored. He doesn't really. He's more like about the immortality he was granted than necessarily like since he made himself feel okay about the fact that it is like taking kids and by consequence killing them to take them to Neverland. Like that's fine. Like <laughs> I'm immortal. I can fly. I'm having myself a good time. So while traveling with them to Neverland, he frequently darts off on other adventures of his own and loses interest or will make a sport out of almost letting them drown into the water below. And then at the last second, being like, yes, I'm fixing us. You're good. Let's go. Off to Neverland. Second star to the right. Which, I mean, if he's sadistic. If he cut Captain Hook's 
uh, handoff for a childish, childish prank, prank, then I mean, maybe you drown someone as a childish prank. I don't know. So therefore, it does make sense that once slash if the lost boys grow up, they'd be uninteresting to Pan. It would no longer serve their purpose to him. Well, because they're not fun and they're not bringing imagination to anything. And so mm-hmm. if he gets constantly bored and he's bringing all of these people over and, like, they have new experiences because it's different times. I mean, who knows how long they stay on Neverland. It could be, you know, years or it could be decades. So Pan obviously is cruel <laughs> if these are the things he's doing. But the theory states that they don't think it's necessarily like a, but almost like a intentionally wanting to harm people kind of cruel, but more of a, he's a child. So everything is a know. game. He doesn't. Um, understand the consequences he's like killing lost boys has no lasting impact on him there's he's bringing more lost boys however often that happens and there's still always going to be his fun games with hook that he has and the indians he can go bother them probably they go to powerhouse and stuff yeah yeah but yeah so he just doesn't understand the consequences of his actions and just forgets because he's basically frozen in that immortality at the mindset of I don't know how old he's supposed to be to be completely honest say like tween at oldest I would guess yeah because I mean I would would say he's like close to like 11 12 Mm -hmm. is what I would say because he's always older than all the lost boys yeah and he doesn't look at death as bad or good but more as like how he says like the awfully big adventure to go on so it just kind of is like eventually it's going to happen so like if you fall into the water on the way if it's because I took you there if it's because there's too many of you and I'm over it it's gonna happen it's fine (laughs) but I'm gonna keep having fun because I'm here to play um so Captain Hook finds out about Pan's plot and wants to stop it when he is rescued by Smee as he unintentionally stumbles upon Neverland and but he knows that he needs immortality to do it yes but he realized that he could not defeat Pan without like time and putting a plan in place so he contacted the giant crocodile who would give him immortality so the catch in that plan was Croc needs a hand and Hook couldn't tell the children the truth of what their crew was doing like trying to foil Pan until they actually like joined um so he cut off his hand gave the sacrifice replaced it with a hook Peter or Pan who homeboy eventually claimed that he did it because doesn't that sound fun Mm -hmm. and it helps since they have like a rivalry going on to say like oh I'm the one who cut off his hand I'm so I foil all of his plans (laughs) haha isn't that great of course since it was only Hook who was immortal he eventually has to continue like getting a new crew every time she explains why they're not very good why they're foiled by children all the time all the time yeah so it doesn't have much and this specific theory only has one example of someone who might have been rescued by hook and that example is wendy's father at the end of the disney movie wendy's father says he recognizes the ship obviously they take this to mean obviously he was once a lost boy who went and joined hook hook decided it would be better to get him away from the island than keep him there and somehow perhaps his memory was erased or because he was a kid he he has no recollection that that was anything real other than perhaps a play pretend. And then Pan decided to get revenge later in life by kidnapping his kids. Wendy, Michael, and John. Which he's and led that's there by how, his shadow disappearing. Yeah, by his children. So Hook is trying to return the children the whole movie and save yet another set of kids. Because Hook would remember their father. 
Mm-hmm. But Pan defeated him and still decided to return. Well, maybe he thought by defeating him, he'd gotten the ultimate revenge. He got it anyway, so it's just like, I don't need you. But And also, it's the first time he'd taken a woman at that point. And so that maybe he was conflicted. He was like, what do I do? You're not what, I, you can't <laughs> not be what I'm part. looking for. Because I kind of combined two into okay, one so as I explained that. And I think it still works. The one thing that makes me say... Is because if they are dead when they leave Earth, and that idea of the soul going would have to not be possible if you can bring if you can bring the kid back and they're able to like rejoin essentially. So, so that's what the only it's point where I'm like, like, well, maybe it's not. What it's more? What if it's more like it because you don't ever see the last ways? What if it's more of they put them in a coma and then mm. they decide at that point if they're gonna kill them, which obviously they are, mm-hmm. and then they'll die obviously on Earth. I wonder, I don't remember off the top of my head, I wonder what the timeline of, like, while the, like, while Wendy, John, and Michael are in Neverland, is it just a night that they're thought I think it's just gone? a night, though, because remember, his so parents come home at the end of the night. So maybe time moves differently. So time would move Like, how in yeah. all different realms. So it's like I they're like sleeping, and then about. they decide whether or not they're going to. So much creepier. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and maybe it's even, like, yes, it like is, time for each is paused, or, yeah, it moves differently time moves in differently. some kind yeah. of. Some form. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they also said that the reason that the crocodile follows Hook is because he would like to end his immortality. Like, maybe that was another, like, catch in the bargain or something like that, and that's why he's always following him around. That at some point you're gonna, you can't be immortal forever, forever. Like, forever, forever. So I'm just gonna be here as a reminder, like, you're immortal, but are you? <laughs> <laughs> because I kind of gave that to you, so I can also take it. That's creepy as shit. It's so creepy. I was like, oh my god, I have to share this one because I never, I just, I don't think any kind of theory, I have to be honest, I'm not one who like watches and is like, I'm gonna make up a why for this. I'm just like, you know what, it's a kid's movie, I'm gonna accept it at face value. <laughs> so it just, yes, to no. think even, well, like, okay, so, that. and I like that in that one too that like Hook was painted as like no he's actually like the good guy the good guy he's like trying to help <laughs> you we Even just looked still at this considered a villain. like it's just painted through little kid mindset so we think that the adults are bad it's guy one way. always yeah that makes sense that's creepy as shit go Hook yeah. I am now uh. I'm a much bigger fan of Hook <laughs> Peter Pan is creepo it makes you like which I don't remember in great detail but like the Hook movie with Robin Ro- mm-hmm. Robin, Robin Williams. Williams like he's the good guy that hangs out with everyone He's, he's not Peter like Pan. Captain Hook. He's he's Pan in it. Yeah, Hook is, is it because it's about it's I don't about. I to sound stupid. I just really don't remember anything. <laughs> I'm overly positive he's Peter Pan in the series, but he went home I mean, and grew I up. You, but and then like they fight Hook again Hook. later. But I think it's I don't remember what the it's been a really long time since I've seen it for sure. But no, you're right. Justin Hoffman's Captain Hook. Yeah, but I think it's called Hook because they didn't want to call it Peter Pan, or they didn't have the rights they to it. Didn't have the rights. Yeah. But they call it Hook. That's just a word. So. It's by Steven's fault. That makes sense. No, Mr. Flynn, that's, that's incredible. I would not have guessed that would have been yeah. what's happening. I always did think it was creepy. And I think Peter Pan is actually based off of a fairy tale about um, staying inside at night. Because it was said that like a man was going to come and take you. If I remember. I don't remember which country it is, but they have a Peter Pan thing like that. I don't know if they called him Peter Pan, but that's kind of what it was based off loosely. But if you didn't stay inside or close your windows at night, then he was going to come and get you. Or like children who misbehaved or something like that. No, but villains are cool. They definitely, I mean, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have heroes if you don't have someone for them to fight against or be the antagonist or cause them trouble because you can't triumph over nothing. Oh my gosh, the villains are a click. So Disney has brought to life more than 120 
27 different villains from films, sequels, television, video games, books, and even just within the Disney theme parks. Although there's many different evil characters and enemies that have been created, not all of them are official members of the Disney villains franchise. Conversely, some of the villains that are marketed are not necessarily villains since they do not fully agree with the primary antagonist, but can still cause trouble to the protagonist. So technically, the Sheriff of Nottingham is not French John No, that's what I read. Okay. <laughs> He's not yes. technically the villain of the movie, but he is a big problem. So they're kind of like a clique. Like, you just, like, can't just be in because you're helping or because you're around. Like, you have to be one of us. Which we is why. We have to ask you to sit with us. And we, yeah. we were pink on Wednesdays and get in the car, loser, we're going shopping. Yeah. That's what it's Which like. Would reading that reminds that the me evil of. queen is head of all of it because she yes. is the first. Uh, she really, really is. I just love, they had, like, all these different, this is my first year, but I forgot. They had all these different, like, subsects of them. Like, they had the Disney Divas of Darkness, which <laughs> was basically, like, the counterparts of every Disney princess. So it was, like, the evil queen. Oh, Cinderella's stepmother was Lady Tremaine. I did not know that. I did not know she had a name. Queen of Hearts, Maleficent, Corella, Madame Mim from The Sword in the Stone. That makes sense. Madame Medusa, Ursula, Yzma, and Mother Gothel. They had the Sinister Cats, which gives us Lucifer, Cheshire, Cat, Luce? Uh, from Cinderella. Oh! Yeah, yeah his name was Lucifer. The, like, no, he's not black, he's gray. Yeah, pretty sure. He might be black, I don't know. It looks kind of brown in this photo. Maybe it is brown. It's an old photo, right? Yeah, he's a black cat, though. Okay. He's black and white. He's a tuxedo cat, actually. Um, C&M, Am, Shere Khan, Jungle Book, Felicia from The Great Mouse Detective, and Scar. <gasps> yes. What in the world? Oh, my God. Okay, and in 2013. <laughs> this is so interesting. They had the 13 Reflections of Evil, which was a, a group they basically made for, like, the Epcot trading pen. Oh, cool. Pen, I mean, when that became super popular. So, in the story, they said that the Evil Queen found an incantation, which, if performed with magic, the magic mirror on a Friday the 13th, it would summon 13 of the most powerful and evil villains from across time and space. The villains then broke the mirror and hid the 13 shards so no one could use it against them. That is so cool. So the 13 shards are the pins, right? Oh my god, I bet. The 13 different pins. It doesn't show me, but I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Disney, you sneaky dude. I love it. The most surprising is that Gaston and Oogie Boogie are included in the 13. That makes sense. Nightmare Before Christmas Evil is villains. I would not expect. Like, I don't know who else I would want on there if not them, you know? But as far as most powerful go, how did Gaston make the most powerful list? It, just, it said the most powerful and evil. Oh, So maybe he was the most evil, evil because of, like, what he could incite from people. That's fair. And he was really manipulative. He was. So that's, a like, a specific form of evil. Yep, for sure. Oh, I kind of bring up Gaston. <laughs> well, on that but note. Anyways, <laughs> I just, that was so fun. Okay, I'm glad we did that together. Yes, that was perfect. No, but villains are cool. I think they definitely help the whole universe go around because everyone's got to have somebody they kind of hate. But mm-hmm. Yeah, go follow us on Instagram. We are at nerdly underscore informant. We'll talk to you guys next week. Nerdly yours. Nelly is scaring me while I'm waiting.